How many of you took a chemistry class at some point? How many of you liked that? A few of you. Jim really liked that. If you don't, if you don't know, Jim was a chemistry professor, and so those of you who maybe are facing a chem class, he's your guy. Um, this is a representation of a litmus test. Remember that? You took that litmus paper, and see if I remember this right. Use it to check to see if a, a solution was either an acid or alkaline basic. And uh, so you took the blue paper, and if it turned red, it was acidic. Am I right, Jim? And if it was red and it turned blue, then it was either basic or alkaline. Well, this, this litmus test, whether you remember that from chemistry class or not, the idea of a litmus test has made it out of the uh, chem lab and become this idea that we now use for all sorts of things that are yes, no, black, white, up, down uh, kind of things. We use a litmus test oftentimes for people, sometimes for things. For example, in politics, right? Oftentimes a candidate faces a litmus test on a single issue, right? That's actually, we use that phrase often. If you listen to political speech, we talk about an an issue being a litmus test for a candidate, right? Um, In fact, many of us this morning probably have an unspoken litmus test for what it means to be a Christian, Uh, maybe what it means to be a mature Christian. This happens quite often because uh, either we focus too much attention to one verse and maybe misread it or misapply it, uh, or, or even a larger sense, I think part of why we do this is the nature of the Christian faith. We want to earn something sometimes, or we want to prove something, but it's faith. We trust that we are forgiven because of the work of Christ, not because of anything we do. And sometimes that's hard for us to rest in. And so we pick and choose these things that sort of become this litmus test to figure out if we're really Christians or really mature. Now for me, and I grew up in the church, I I somehow got Jesus' words in John 15 kind of tangled up. If you want, you're welcome to turn there. You might know the scene. Jesus is uh, explaining this, this parable using this metaphor, and he's speaking to his disciples. And this, of course, is the night he's going to be arrested. He's going to go to the cross. This is one of those last times with his disciples. And he uses this metaphor of a vine and the branches connected to it. And Jesus says he is the vine and we are to be like those branches connected uh, to Jesus. He uses the word abiding, finding our source in Jesus. But something that Jesus said here, I, I somehow allowed to get a bit twisted. If you've got it open and you notice in verse two, Jesus says that the father is the vine dresser or the gardener. And he says that the branches that bear fruit are going to be pruned so they bear more fruit. And the branches uh, that don't bear fruit are going to be removed. And then if you go down to verse 6, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now somewhere along the way, my brain sort of tangled those two verses, and I came to believe that as a follower of Jesus, if I didn't bear fruit, that meant I was going to be cut off, that I fit in that metaphor of being thrown in the fire and burned, which doesn't sound real great, does it? By the way, that isn't the point that Jesus is making here. But bearing fruit became, if you will, my litmus test of my own faith. And and later, you know, I, I began to think, 
that, that bearing fruit means if somebody's actually a Christian, then of course the litmus test, the proof is they lead other people to Christ. And until I did that, I was really scared that maybe I wasn't really a Christian. Created a lot of stress and worry and later, uh, to be honest, maybe a bit of self-righteousness. But either way, more than we realize, sometimes we create these litmus tests to determine if, if someone else is really a Christian or, or if we are. And, and actually these change oftentimes with culture. For example, a very common litmus test when I was growing up, if someone was really a Christian, was whether or not they drink. That's a cultural thing largely. A, a, a real Christian maybe doesn't see rated R movies, right? By the way, The Passion of the Christ is a rated R movie. It's good to stay away from gratuitous violence and, and you know, sexual things and, and stuff like that, but it can't be this litmus test. Uh, maybe it's a real Christian reads, you know, a devotion very early every single morning, and I'm not a morning person. So it was kind of a bummer. It was hard to pass that test. Maybe a, a, it's actually a popular one right now, and it's, it's messed up. This idea that a real Christian votes for a certain party, right? That's a real thing right now. Or maybe the litmus test is a, a Christian thinks about science in a certain way, or, or isn't willing to purchase certain homes or cars or things like that, on and on and on. We create these sort of spiritual litmus tests without even realizing that we do it. And almost always, this process leads to unhealthy ways of thinking and unhealthy ways of behaving towards the people around us. Now, in the Corinthian church, to whom Paul wrote this letter that we've been working our way through together for some time, they had a very obvious litmus test as well. And for them, this litmus test was this practice of speaking in tongues. Now, last week, in case you weren't with us, I mentioned from a historical standpoint, this isn't all that surprising because if we go back just a little before the time of their church, the birth of the church and the story that Acts provides us, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, we have this first band of Jesus followers and they're gathered together in the city of Jerusalem and they're praying. And in the midst of praying together, the building's shaken and this wind blows through and we're told that everybody has this flame sort of thing on their head. And what happens next is that they begin to speak in other tongues as they're led by God's spirit. They go out and they're able to share the good news of Jesus with this multinational multinational crowd that's come from all sorts of places for this festival in Jerusalem. And so you have people from far away, all these different places. We actually have a list of hard to pronounce places in Acts chapter 2. They're stunned to hear these, these Jewish followers of Jesus speaking of God's hope in their native tongue. And so Peter then speaks to this bewildered crowd and just a normal day, 3,000 people come to faith on the spot. I wish I could see that. What a day, right? Well, then if we fast forward in Acts chapter 10, Peter, who's one of the close followers of Jesus, apparently still hasn't understood how big God's love is. And there's these people called the Gentiles who don't practice his faith, who he looks down on, and he assumes they're outside of the sphere of God's love. And then he has this vision, and God leads him to this other city, to the home of a Gentile man named Cornelius. And I'm going to put this up on the screen because I want us to notice what happens next. Okay, This is in Acts uh, chapter 10. 
So Peter's sharing the message of Jesus, right? And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now, I'll pause there. The people who are hearing the message are these Gentile people that Peter and his friends assume are sort of outside of the sphere of God's love. So how is God going to show them what God is doing? Well, verse 45 says, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles. They're shocked by this. They do not expect God to do this. Verse 46, why? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter says this. He says, surely no one can stand uh, in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we are. Last week I mentioned what's underneath this is they planned to. They planned to stay in the way. But because God moves in the way that God moves, now he says no one can stand in the way of these Gentiles being baptized with water because they recognize they received the Holy Spirit. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So there's this second sort of seminal moment in the growth of the church where these people who, who appeared to be outside of the sphere of God's love to many of his Jesus' early followers come to faith, are accepted by God to the surprise of Peter and his friends. And, and the recognition of this happening was they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. So if we fast forward to Corinth, we have two additional factors to consider of why this might be the litmus test for them. First, there was still disagreement in the early church between Jewish and non-Jewish and some more sort of orthodox Jewish believers than others. And this disagreement was about, okay, if I wasn't of the Jewish faith, but I come to Christ, do I have to then also come under the law of Moses as the Jewish people do? Some were arguing that men even had to be circumcised, that you had to take on all of these laws to really be a follower of Christ. And so you can see where there'd be some disagreement, some confusion about what does it really look like to be a Christian. Secondly, it's clear that these Corinthians also came from a pagan background that included this sense of spirituality in which there were these ecstatic sort of utterances as a part of their pagan worship rituals. This was a familiar thing to them. So as Paul writes to this church in 1 Corinthians that we've already seen, if you've been with us, it's, it's clear they're very divided, it's chaotic. He takes three chapters in his letter to address their overemphasis on this experience of speaking in tongues. And it seems that he's doing this because this has become their litmus test to prove to one another, maybe to prove to themselves that they are in fact uh, saved, that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you'll remember those who have been with us, this argument really begins in chapter 12. And Paul uh, begins with this sort of repetitive explanation of the value of diversity in the church, a value we still need to hold on today. And, and part of how he talks about this, there's a metaphor of a body and we're all different parts of that body, but it doesn't mean one's less important than the other. But in the midst of that, he, he expresses and emphasizes this idea that all of us who follow Christ are gifted by God's Spirit. God's Spirit is at work in us, but speaking in tongues is only one of those gifts. There's this list of them, and all of them are for the purpose of the common good, of lifting up one another. 
And then in chapter 13, which you might be familiar with from weddings, uh, Paul teaches that no amount of this spiritual expression means anything if it lacks love. In fact, in verse 1 of Corinthians 13, he says this, uh, specifically because this is what they're hung up on. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. Now, when we looked at this passage, I mentioned that that idea of a clanging symbol uh, seems to reference specifically the noise that came from these pagan worship rituals. So Paul's contrasting their past. He uh, puts this idea together of the diversity of gifts and the necessity of love, Paul does, uh, as the motivation for using these gifts as we come into chapter 14, which we jumped into last week. And if you aren't there already, I'd encourage you to take a Bible and turn there. We're in 1 Corinthians 14. This idea that in their worship gatherings, they were all gifted by the Spirit. They were all to be participants. But their goal was to love one another and to build one another up through the expression of these various gifts. In other words, if you'll remember, you've been with us, this is yet another application of what we found in chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, which seems really obvious, but he has to say it to these people who are kind of hung up on themselves. If you'll remember 10:23, he quotes them saying, I have the right to do anything. Paul says, but not everything's beneficial. And then in verse 24, the command he gives that really is, is laced through the rest of the letter is, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others, right? Because that's not what they were doing. And even in the way they were trying to express uh, the spiritual gifts, they were really seeking their own good to build themselves up rather than to see God work through them to build one another up. There are two ways that Paul applies this. Uh, last week, we saw this focus on the need to be intelligible. It's, that's way outside of our experience, probably, but it was so chaotic in the worship services that you couldn't tell what was going on. It was confusing. It wasn't building people up. In, uh, in the section this morning, Paul's going to focus on their need for some order rather than chaos in their gatherings. Now, again, last week we saw in the way that they were worshiping, they were focusing either on their personal fulfillment or maybe on proving their spirituality. Again, you know, sort of passing, uh, if you will, that litmus test. They wanted to prove they were the real deal rather than focusing on serving one another. Rather than focusing on serving one another as they were called to. Now, as I've thought about this, I recognize that our cultural practice though it looks vastly different, may not be all that different. Now, we don't have a chaotic service, and hopefully I'm somewhat intelligible this morning. But last week we we discussed this idea that we raised this question really of, do we come on Sunday morning with the priority being receiving something, or do we come with the priority being to give something? Because I think, if we're honest, our culture sort of, nurtures this idea that that we come to church almost as um, consumers, that we come to receive the music we like. Hopefully they sing the song we really like. We come to receive a message. And, And there's nothing wrong with those things except that our priority is in fact to be that we come to give, to build one another up, to have God work through us uh, in one another's lives, which if we're honest, I think is different than the value many of us have experienced. 
our common culture tells us we come on Sunday mornings primarily to receive something where Paul is emphasizing through this discussion on spiritual gifts that in fact we're to come with a focus on giving something to one another as God empowers us. And this consistent thread all through chapter 14 is this value of building one another up, building one another up. And last week, uh, whereas it challenged our expectations of whether we come to give or receive this morning, what I want us to consider is, what do we bring? If we're coming to give, what do we bring to build one another up? How does that work? Uh, With this in mind, let's Jump back into 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 26. If you'd like to turn there again, it'll be up on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And everything must be done. How? So that the church may be built up. There's that idea again. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. It's giving some sort of regulation to what they're already practicing. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. By the way, this seems like kind of basic classroom instructions, right? Like, wait until your turn, raise your hand, don't talk over each other. It's kind of that tenor here. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Again, you see that value of building one another up. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is what? Not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. A couple things just to point out that really give us a sense of what was going on in their gatherings. Again, in verse 27, Paul essentially has to say, speak one at a time. Seems fairly obvious, right? But apparently they need to be directed in this. Gives us a glimpse of how things are going. And then in verse 29 to 31, he essentially again has to say, hey, take turns. Don't one person sort of monopolize everything, but everybody needs to be a part of this. Take turns. And then notice in verse 33, Paul says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Why does he have to say that? It gives us a sense of of how wild their worship services must have been. It It would not be silent like it is if I'm quiet, right? I would have loved to see exactly what was going on. I have a hunch that many of us would have been uncomfortable or confused if we could go back and be in one of these Corinthian worship gatherings. It was disorderly. Again, last week we saw much of what was even spoken was, was not understandable. And so Paul has to say, look, look, in all God's congregations, there's order and there's peace, not the disorder and the chaos that you're uh, experiencing. Now, here's the thing. As I thought about this this week, I don't think we need to hear this. I, I actually think maybe we need to hear just the opposite. Not that we need disorder and chaos, but, but we really like order. We may have too much order. I was at a service this week where every element was arranged down to the minute. They had time constraints. It isn't wrong. 
But that's kind of how we often roll in the church today is, you know, we watch the clock, make sure we finish at a certain time. Everything sort of goes in an order. But order itself wasn't the goal. It's to serve the good of the church. The goal is a healthy and vibrant church where everyone is serving, putting the good of others first, and everyone is participating in order to allow that to happen. If you'll go back and notice again, verse 26, what's the expectation? It says, when you come together, each of you come with something, right? When you come together, each of you has a hymn. Oh, by the way, that isn't saying like worship choruses aren't okay. Those of you who really like hymns, this is kind of the idea of something broader. Um, Amazing Grace hadn't been written yet when Paul wrote this. It says, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation. This is the idea that, that I'm learning something. God's revealing something from the scriptures. A tongue or an interpretation. Each of you come with these things. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. Everyone brings something. And so I've wondered this week, um, what does that look like? I wonder if we could practice that a bit this morning. Hopefully that doesn't make you uncomfortable. Um, There's a reason we began our time focusing on those questions together. Because I wanted to kind of prime you for this and recognize that you probably did bring something, whether you recognize it or not. Um, What I'd love to do is just take a couple minutes and... If this is your first time here, this actually isn't how we usually do service, but I think it's going to be pretty cool. Um, I want to take a few minutes and and allow God to use us to encourage one another, Uh, to just share how God's at work in our lives, to put this into practice a little bit. So you don't need to like say anything elaborate, but I've got a mic, which is probably going to scare you. I'm going to come over to you so people can hear if you want to raise your hand. Can we just take a couple minutes and maybe from those questions, even on your bulletin, there's a way you could, there's something you could share this morning that would encourage one another. Who would, who would be willing to do that? Not everyone at once. Kathy, I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Here you go. I'll hold it. I've had some little challenges in the last month or so. Just house problems and maintenance and things and each time it's like okay what are you trying to teach me now lord and i think the answer is trust me i've got this don't worry about it i've got this i love you and i care for you and i will take care of it and god's teaching you that through mundane house problems huh that's awesome thank you for sharing that who else? Come over to you, Brandon. You probably could boom with your voice and everybody could hear it, but here we go. Yeah, I guess how hot the mic Let's see where I am. Uh, I've never been a person who's like been one of those devotional wake up super early in the morning people, and if you are in our small group, then you already have heard this story. But uh, <laughs> over the course of the summer and then up until now, I, I've taken on as a practice just really getting into praying and uh, the scriptures in the morning. And lately I've been reading through the Psalms and just praying, kind of like reading the Psalm and trying to figure out like where the psalmist and I might have something in common that day and just trying to pray on that. And uh, the effect that it's had, because I've, I've become really conscious of the fact that like 
my life is a spiritual battle and even my the most mundane stuff in my life and, and my work life especially and i i know that there's a marked difference from when i am you know asking for god's protection and his help and his, his spirit to guide me and when i and when i neglect to do that uh, it's night and day uh, so that has been really big in my life lately thank you thank you we're not done yet by the way is, is if you're uncomfortable that's okay um just to say, we, we're not going to require we do this publicly every Sunday, but this is something we can be doing even in the library as we come and sharing with one another. Dee, here you go. Well, I just would like to thank everyone for all of your encouragement. And then um, there was a very touching note about Ernie and his encouragement. And I will say every day he is a huge encouragement to me because he... He has a lot of challenges, but I see how he truly trusts the Lord and, and with a good heart, and that means a lot. Amen. You're not the only one that feels that way. We appreciate your earning. Anyone else? Maybe we could use some practice at this. It's okay. We're not used to it. Um, I, I've been reading through Luke, and I, this week I was in the prodigal son, and actually it turns out that's appropriate because um, our community group is actually starting a book about that parable of the prodigal son by, uh, by Tim Keller. But, you know, there, there's so much to that parable. It's one of the, one of the most you know, famous. But, you know, what really spoke out to me this time was just the attitude of the father and... I mean, I, I think a lot of us can identify with the idea of needing to prove yourself either to other people or earn God's love in some way, and that's almost the entire purpose of the parable is, is you know, if you identify with the, the son who comes back just heartbroken because he doesn't even think he deserves to be considered a son anymore because of the things he's done, that's the furthest thing from the father's mind. All he cares about is that he has his son in relationship and, I mean, there's nothing just more poignant about what God wants is relationship. And if you're willing to give him that, all of the bad stuff you've done is gone. And that's just something that I think we all, we all need every day. Thanks, Reed. One more. There you go, Bill. Uh, we've done a lot of moving around in our adult life. And I think that the one thing that I carry from each move is that the Lord always puts somebody there to uh, give us a hand if we need it or not, actually. And sometimes we don't realize we need it when we do. And so our life has been pretty smooth, and I think a lot of that is just because the Lord looks after you, no matter how silly you are. Thank you. So thank you, those of you who shared and, and those of you who were afraid I was going to come at you with a mic. It's okay. Um, I'm one of those people too, believe it or not. I, I, I took some time to do this this morning because we all come with something if we'd stop and recognize it. Um, if we take time in our preparation on Sunday morning or when we come to, to community groups or wherever we gather to come with this priority of what has God been speaking? What have I been learning? 
Uh, what do I have to, to thank God for this week so that as I come with other people, I can be an encouragement? If we'd prioritize that, I think some really cool things could happen in our congregation. I think we'd find more joy. We'd find a deeper value for one another. Uh, we'd look beyond perhaps some of the things that we'd allow sometimes to divide us. One of our challenges isn't order. It's to be uh, a little more spontaneous and and a little more participatory and to create an environment where more of us can share and be an encouragement and lift one another up. Um, I'd ask you to keep verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14 in front of you this week and make it a goal, not necessarily to hold a mic next Sunday, um, but, but whether it's to community group, whether it's to coming on Sunday morning, whether it's Saturday at a Gin Feeds event, to have a little preparation where we come expecting and ready to share what God's doing, to give something uh, to the other people around us because that's who we're called to be as a church. That's who we're called to be. People who focus on building one another up and allowing God to work through us. So I want to leave us with a couple questions this morning. Um, and the first is this. You know, and it may just be what is my spiritual litmus test, um, but is there something you need to let go of? You know, as I think of most of these sort of litmus tests that we create, at the heart, most of them are rooted in our desire to somehow earn God's love. I want to be abundantly clear. What we celebrate this morning is not that we're a bunch of religious people. It's not that God gave us an easier to-do list. Uh, we celebrate this morning that God freely gave forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, God extends to us new life, new purpose, and the ability to actually walk with God. That's what we celebrate. And yet, sometimes we want to add things to that, right? And, and add those litmus tests. So I just asked this morning, is there one of those that you're sort of either in hostage to yourself or, or holding other people to that God's Spirit would just say, hey, maybe you could just set that down and let it go, you know? What practice could help me come whenever we gather with a priority to give rather than to receive? Now, one thing I do want to say about this is it's okay to come with needs. Most of us often do. Sometimes they feel bigger than other times. Here's the thing. Sometimes even when we share our need, it's actually an opportunity to encourage other people because they now have opportunity to serve. When we're transparent with one another and we come and give of ourselves and what God's doing, whether we feel high or low or wherever, when we come with that expectation, pretty remarkable things can happen. So maybe there's a practice you could pick up this week. Maybe it's just sitting in that, that passage in 1 Corinthians 14. You know, this question of what do I bring to the table? How does God empower me to serve? This is another question I'd love for us to wrestle with a bit more because one thing we've seen in Corinthians is very clear that God gives all followers of Jesus Christ by his spirit to be a part of what God is doing. And that comes out in different ways. And so I wonder this morning, are you aware of one or two ways maybe that God has empowered you to be able to build other people up, that God is able to work through you uh, for his kingdom. And if you don't know 
the answer to that question, that seems like a, an overwhelming question. Uh, as I've said before, I would love to buy a cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is you'd prefer and, and sit down and just sort of explore this idea together. Because again, the church depends on every single one of us. The, the health of our church body is dependent on full participation of all of us allowing God to work through us to build one another up. And then this question, how can I make time and space to listen to God this week? I think that's really at the heart of this. Quiet's rather uncomfortable for us. Most of us live with schedules that have no margin in them. And we do that to ourselves. Most of us, nobody's doing that to us. What does it look like this week to, to scratch out some margins, some time, a place where it's quiet, to just listen, to seek God's direction, maybe to ask that question of God, how have you empowered me? How would you invite me to be a part of what you're doing? Those of you who have your calendar on your phone, maybe it's just a matter of blocking out some time for the week before it gets filled in, right? This is from uh, Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let us hold unswervingly, steadily is the idea, to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. God is not going to let us down. This says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This is the idea of cheering each other on, encouraging one another. You can do it. Come on, let me help you, right? Spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now about this verse, I used to think this was just about a like church attendance, like don't stop coming to church. It's bigger than that. It's don't stop making the most of opportunity to be together as the body so that we can encourage one another, recognizing we all have a role and a responsibility in this. It's, it's bigger than just church attendance. It's make it a priority to be with one another so that God can work through us to encourage one another to build one another up, because that's our calling. I'm going to pray for us and uh, then invite the worship team up. Father, would you empower us as a church body, as individuals, to more fully allow you or, or participate with you in the ways you want to work through us, God, I look forward to this Saturday and I pray uh, that you would help us to take hold of an opportunity to love our community well, maybe to build new relationships, to serve the children who are at risk in our community. And as we do that, to encourage one another. God, I pray that this week you would help us to make intentionally time and space to listen for your voice. And I pray that you would lead us. And God, even today, before we leave, we just pray that you would work through us to, to truly encourage one another. I thank you that we aren't all the same. We love the fact that there's a variety in this group that you've 
gifted us in different ways and through different experiences and backgrounds. God, help all of those uh, to come to bear that we could lift one another up and find a deeper unity in Jesus Christ. Amen.